Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Ooh, we're going to mix it up today, folks. This is Clint Russell. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Uh, today, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get spicy. Uh, I've had James Lindsay on. We've been talking about this for a while, um, about how the left seems to be radicalizing to an extreme level. And I am blessed to have on Robert Spencer. He is the author of The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. It's going to be an interesting conversation, to say the least. Mr. Spencer, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Absolutely, man. Um, so let's start Let's start here with the one thing I don't know <laughs> for sure, The Sumter Gambit. Where does that, uh, that language come from? I don't even know it. Yeah, that comes from the first Civil War. What we're starting now is the second, of course, but the first Civil War started when the Confederate uh, armies fought, uh, from South Carolina fired upon Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor. Okay, and so it's a reference to Fort Sumter. Okay, gotcha. The idea is that the left now is trying to find its Fort Sumter moment and is playing all kinds of Sumter gambits, that is, efforts to push us into starting the civil war by doing something they can portray as yet another insurrection that can allow them to crack down on dissent even more than they do now. So a uh, thousand January 6th is, if you will. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, I think that what's interesting about your work is because your, your background was in discussing jihad from Muslims, uh, I think that it's interesting because uh, I have described the left as kind of having a religious zealotry, even though it's masked in either agnosticism or atheism. Um, but I do believe that they they approach this with a kind of a religious war aspect. Do you do you know the origins of that? Why why is it that this is it just go all the way back to Mao Marx? Like where does this come from? Yeah, Mao and Marx. Marx constructed a, an artificial religion. Uh, communism is a religion in the sense that it is a, an, a total explanation of life and a centering of life around one overarching goal. That's what religions do. And so he, in the first place, clears out all the other gods. He declares that communism is atheistic, and then he sets up his own god. Right. That is the worker or the proletariat or the dictatorship of the proletariat that will bring about the messianic era of total justice. And mm -hmm. so it's very much a religious impulse. But at the same time, the people who are Marxists today, like most of the Democrat Party and most of the globalist elites, they all understand that they can't stamp out the traditional religions. That there will always be people who say, no, I believe in God and I'm going to die for this. You're not going to take this from me. And so they have chosen a religion that they favor above all the others. And it's a religion that lends itself to authoritarianism because they are authoritarians. They don't believe in free inquiry, free discourse, free expression. They don't believe in free society. They are right now trying to criminalize dissent in the United States. And so they see this religion, this one religion, that has always been authoritarian, that has never lent itself to democratic rule. The only democracy in, in, in the Islamic world ever has been Turkey that was set up as a rejection of political Islam. Mm -hmm. And so 
they chose Islam. And that's why the left loves Islam and favors it in a way that it never does Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or Buddhism. That's interesting. I always assumed that it was just because they're minorities in America and therefore, you know, the the woke must defend the minority at all costs. But they do take a uh, real leeway when it comes to judging the Islamic world. You know, it's like basically they just don't have anything to say about it at all. Even even when there's like assassinations or executions of gay people, for instance, something that you would think would rise to a higher level of concern for them than would religious sensitivities. They would be like, okay, well, obviously gay people are an even smaller minority than the Muslims if you're talking on the global population scale. Uh, and yet they still side with the Muslims usually. Is oh, that why? Ridiculous. Oh yeah, that's absolutely why. And okay. it's incredible how the lengths to which they'll go for this. Like uh, today is January the 30th and February 1st or 2nd, I forget which, is World Hijab Day on mm -hmm. which Western feminists all put on hijabs, not all, but Western feminists all over the country are going to be wearing hijabs in solidarity with the hijab-wearing Muslim women who are oppressed. Now, there are hijab-wearing Muslim women who are oppressed. They're in Iran. And they're putting their lives on the line now to not wear hijab. The feminists are not putting on the hijab in solidarity with them. They're putting the hijab on in solidarity with Muslim women in America who are supposedly oppressed by terrible Trump supporters and all that who hmm. are against Islam. And so even now with women in Iran rising up against the Islamic Republic and dying not to have to wear hijab, the Western feminists are still going to have hijab day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally bizarre to me because I can't think of. I mean, they're they're not at all sensitive to religious practices. Like if it's a Christian religion, they're like, "Oh, this is barbaric and archaic and outdated, and how dare you!" Uh, but when it comes to the hijab, it's like, "Yeah, of course, that's a totally reasonable thing to ask." Which is, as far as I'm concerned, about as overt a uh, you know women's disempowerment as I can, I can think of in terms of like standardized religious practices. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, James Lindsay has been talking to me uh, about this, this idea of Operation Drag Floyd, where they're trying to catalyze uh, some sort of attack against the, the drag community. And, and that's why they continue with the, the drag queen story hours and things like that, is that they, they want what you're describing, which would be you know, a Fort Sumter type deal. Um, do you think that that's plausible? Because I, I mean, a lot of people think it's a it's a stretch, but I'm not so sure. Oh, I think that's eminently plausible. Okay. That's one of the things actually that's in the book that oh, wow. <laughs> I explain that they are trying on all kinds of different fronts to push us into striking back in a violent way, mm -hmm. and that is the one thing that we must not do because this creates a win-win situation for them. If we sit back and allow it, then there's drag queens in primary schools. Then the children are completely ruined. Then they create these monstrosities that they want to create with this trans business and destroy family life in the United States, make everybody dependent upon big pharma and the government and so on. Or if we fight back, then we're insurrectionists and they can say, see, we had to crack down because these people were out of control. And so we have to find other ways, and there are all kinds of other ways, to fight back against this. But what they are trying to do is to push us into that either or.
And mm -hmm. it's not just with the drag queens, but that is one of the arenas in which they're doing it. Well, go ahead and give me some of the other arenas that you think that they're they're pressing for, you know, outbursts of violence. Yeah. One of the other ones is with the elections that everybody can see what happened in 2020. It's not just that there was fraud, but there was fraud on a massive scale. It was base, basically based on the mail-in ballots, on the ballot harvesting, on the relentless campaigns, the propaganda campaigns that had demonized Trump in all kinds of ways. It's very clear what happened. But if you talk about it, then you are uh, outside the realm of acceptable discourse. You get banned on social media and so on. Yep. And so the idea is to completely demoralize us so that people think, well, the elections are pointless because they've got them fixed mm -hmm. and they fix them way out in the open now. You know, look at the uh, Arizona governor race uh, just that just was just a few weeks ago. And the, all the uh, voting machines or a large number of the voting machines in the areas that are going to go heavily for the Republican candidate, they suddenly break down right. and they're just perpetrating this fraud in plain sight as if to rub it in. So then people think, well, we're not going to get any recourse through elections. Mm -hmm. And so we have to fight with guns. And right. then, oh, look, it's another insurrection. They yeah. want to have, and then they have another pretext to uh, crack down even more. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm very concerned about that because, well, I, I don't have a firm conclusion as to if the votes counting is actually being manipulated uh, fortunately for us i've been suspended by youtube for the past two weeks so we can actually talk about this honestly this will be on rumble exclusively so um i i don't have a real answer to that like I, i'm not certain but i i do know with absolute certainty that the outcome of the election was kind of preordained by uh cdc fbi interference with social media um it's fascinating because we spent over four years now you know, lying about Russia's interference in our elections to get Trump elected. And yet above board, I mean, not above board, but it's above board now because thanks to the Twitter leaks, uh, we we now know that they were manipulating and, and basically sending, uh, setting the, the Overton window when it came to, you know, what we were allowed to discuss. And, and that, I don't think people understand how powerful that is. So like, I guess my, what I'm saying is I'm not so sure that it matters like who, like what the actual day of voting and how that's being managed as much as it is the amount of psychological operations that I believe are being set upon the American people. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, do you think that's that's overstating it? And, and also, do you think that there is evidence that the elections themselves, other than in Arizona, which I agree with you is pretty egregious, but the, the 2016 election, do you think that that was actually rigged the day of? Oh, 2016? Yeah, yeah I actually do. I think that that's one of the reasons why we see reports about Hillary throwing stuff around the room and 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 oh, interesting, and absolutely enraged because the fix was in. It was <laughs> it was supposed to be her sailing to victory. Right. But they just some, didn't fix it hard enough. Exactly. That look, these are human beings. They make mistakes. <laughs> they made a big mistake or a series of big mistakes in sixteen that didn't lock up everything the way it was supposed to. And mm. they made some false assumptions about how strong Hillary was going to be. They assumed that everybody, everybody, 100%, who voted for Obama was going to vote for Hillary. Right. They did not reckon on the fact 
that, and of course they couldn't because of their ideological blinders. Mm -hmm. Nobody could stand up in a Democrat boardroom and say, you know, Hillary Clinton is not a very attractive human being, not in terms of her looks, but in terms of her personality. She right. turns a lot of people off. She's, she's, she's arrogant. She's rude. She's nasty and mean, like Trump said. That resonated with people. You know, that was another that, outrage. That nasty woman. Yeah. Yes. Nasty woman. But I know there were millions of Americans who were nodding and saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah hell yeah. <laughs> she's reprehensible it. on every level. Yeah. <laughs> she's a war criminal on top of it. So. You know, Obama is a very appealing personality. I don't like him. Right. I, uh, I oppose everything that he stands for. But I can see when I see him speaking, this is a guy who... People like him. They see him and they think this is a guy I can trust, and I'm glad he's out there, and I'm glad right. he was president, and so on. Nobody Ch charisma for that. days. Yeah, yeah. But with Hillary, no, <laughs> not at all the case. <laughs> I mean, so just they vastly overestimated her appeal, so they didn't fix enough stuff to make sure she would win. And the Trump campaign, meanwhile, did something that all the Republicans were either too stupid or too bought and paid for to do previous because the Trump campaign was full of outsiders. They concentrated on getting 270 electoral votes. And so they had him working very hard on the pressure point states right. where he could uh, move a state from the, from the one camp to the other and end up over 270, even without the popular vote. And he did it. They were not expecting him to do that. Romney didn't make any special effort in those states. McCain didn't make any special effort in those states. They assumed that Trump, that they were in their pocket and Trump wasn't going to either. So why is it that in 2020, Trump, Trump has not been able to prove the fraud? Is it, uh, I know that, that, that many of the courts have thrown it out for lack of like precedent or whatever they call it. Um, do you have any... Do you have any understanding as to how they actually were to have rigged it if they did? I think that it was rigged on a number of levels and that one of them was multiple mail-in ballots that were fictional, not backed by, you know, nobody filled them out or one guy filled out a hundred of them or whatever. Right. And that's very hard to trace because he's got names presumably that he's using on every one that's different. And yep. so... You got no ID, so yeah, yeah, and you got to have very painstaking, <coughs> excuse me, very painstaking work to uncover that. And a lot of the suits were never even considered right. that far along. They were thrown out. Most of the fraud contention was never examined in court. Mm -hmm. Remember, the Supreme Court said when Texas sued, and if, uh, I forget what the others, Texas and Florida, maybe. They I said that the other states were interfering with their franchise and so on. And this was the last stand. This is in December of 2020 or January 21, uh, December 2020. And this was the big chance that the Supreme Court had to say that the other states were aggrieved by obvious fraud and there needs to be a massive investigation. And the Supreme Court just said, Texas and the other states do not have standing to sue. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's extraordinary. If they don't have standing to sue, then who does? Right. Uh, what, what the Supreme Court was essentially saying was that if you have state officials perpetrating the fraud and approving it at the state level, then there's nothing anybody can do. That's it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And, and the reason I, I've 
dug a little deeper on this topic than I had intended to is just simply because if that is the case, you know, if, if these elections are truly being rigged day of on top of the psychological operations that are propagandizing the vast majority of people into believing that the left is still in some form or fashion American, <laughs> which I don't perceive them to be at all. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, if they're actually doing that, then there is no hope at the electoral process, in which case I do believe that violence is ultimately inevitable. I mean, obviously I don't want it and I, and I hope that it doesn't happen in, anytime soon, but if people catch on to that, which obviously many people suspect it, I'm not, I, I think most people still are kind of where I'm at, where they're like uncertain. Um, but if it gets to the point where they really think that they can't win at the ballot box, then yeah, things get really ugly. So how do you see that playing out? Well, it's playing out in all kinds of ways right now. Like, for example, there is increasing awareness of all this. In 2021, 2022, you couldn't even talk about it. You know, you'd get banned on right. Twitter and all the rest. And that's still true to a tremendous degree. But lo and behold, nobody expected it. Here comes Elon Musk, and suddenly you can talk about this again on Twitter. At There's least on Twitter, yeah. Now, more awareness than there was. And Carrie Lake continues to fight the Arizona governor race in the courts. Yeah, and that would be big if that got overturned. Push on this, the harder it's going to be for them to sustain it and to continue to do it. And so while I agree with you that right now, I don't see how, you know, people are talking like about 24 as if they're just going to let Trump waltz back into the White House. Not I don't chance. see that. No, me but the more we continue to put pressure on them about these things, the more it comes out, the more Americans wake up and the less able they are to get away with all this. Okay. I think that's fair. My, my bigger concern actually is that they'll, they'll Trojan horse someone into, to supplant Trump. And even though I moved to Florida because I liked Ron DeSantis's uh, handling of COVID um, better than pretty much any governor in the country, at least any major state. I moved from California to Florida to be under his reign. So obviously I don't have a terribly negative opinion of the guy. However, thanks to his congressional record, I do see in him someone that, that will probably play ball with the establishment a lot more than Trump. I guess I'll just get your opinion on it. Do you think that DeSantis is the real deal or is he kind of a, a quasi-controlled opposition for the, the establishment? You know, uh, I just don't see it. I uh, I respect that people think that. As a matter of fact, just before um, I, I came on to talk to you, I was on another show, and the hosts were saying that too. Oh, interesting. Uh, DeSantis is an establishment guy. Yeah, and well, I'm just concerned. I, I don't have a real firm opinion, honestly. Obviously, a lot of people think this. He has not struck me in that way. It okay. seems to me he's taken them on you know, in even more thoroughgoing manner than Trump did. Certainly there's nobody they fear more than Trump, but at the same time, Trump shot himself in the foot. We have to be honest about it with a lot of the appointments that he made that were playing ball with these guys. He played ball with Mitch McConnell and the establishment Republicans. He put in people like uh, McMaster and John Bolton and all these disastrous uh, types who represented the old way of thinking. He, he certainly has a different way of thinking himself, but he doesn't seem to be able to find or even interested in finding people who will execute his program who are <laughs> like mine. And that's no, no kidding. That I don't see on DeSantis' side. 
Once again, this episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you by Rag Proper. They have the best flasks in the game. Not an exaggeration. Look at these things. Double box, baby. Double box beauty. And for a limited time, to Liberty Lockdown and all you alcoholics out there, because God knows I need a drink right about now because the world's falling apart, but you don't want your flask to fall apart. That's right. Rag Proper is the best in the business. CR10 will get you 10% off. That is CR, like Clint Russell, 10, as in 10% off. Go get it. R-A-G-P-R-O-P-E-R.com. Enjoy a drink on the house. First one's on me. Ragproper.com. Enjoy. On the other hand, you know, I, I think they're both great. The The dream ticket would be the two of them. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll still happen. I wish that Trump would stop attacking him. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't know how. Yeah, he really doesn't. I, you know, I, I, I actually agree with your assessment almost entirely because I, I think that DeSantis is a much more shrewd operator. I think that mm -hmm. he could actually accomplish things <laughs> in power, whereas Trump was undermined by everyone he surrounded himself with, basically his entire presidency. So. Uh, for that reason alone, I would actually kind of prefer DeSantis, if I'm being honest. Um, it's just that I kind of like the idea of the wrecking ball being back in there. And, and oh, yeah. you know, no one's no one's more of a wrecking ball than Trump. There's no doubt about that. It would be a beautiful thing if it did happen. Right. If, if somehow they made more mistakes and it ended up that Trump is inaugurated on January 20th, 2025, and he's he's back and he's mad. You know, that would be crazy. And, uh, he really cleans house this time. But look, you know, take, for example, William Barr, when you talk about the people around him. And we were what we were talking about a few minutes ago about the uh, fraud. And Barr says he investigated all these claims of fraud and he found nothing. And then it comes out a couple years later. He didn't mm. investigate any of them. No, that's his deep state guy in yep. there fobbing off Trump. And He's so. Trump aware of that? Is Trump able to be aware of that? That's what I wonder. I don't know. I mean, this is, I honestly, I have the same question about Trump being controlled opposition just because of all the people he surrounds himself with. Otherwise, like the way he talks and walks and, you know, most of the things that he seems to try to accomplish, he seems like he's really working for the populist right wing. But then when he surrounds himself with people, you're like, Jeez, Jesus, man, what are you doing? And yeah. and I think I think he's losing a lot of his base with that, and and also the his consistent pushing of the vaccines, um, even yeah. in hindsight, is bizarre to me. The fact that he didn't fire Fauci or Burks when he had the chance, there's just a lot of weirdness to it that I I can't wrap my head around. But I don't want to I don't want to focus on that too much. I wanted to get more into uh, the left and the civil war potentially, and and I guess uh, an important question is why why would they want that? I mean, it, it, first off, the right wing is armed to the teeth. They obviously wouldn't have the power of the state in that situation. However, most people in the military are right-leaning, um, or at least a majority are. It just seems like it's such a dangerous gambit. Well, you're right. And yet, a couple yeah. things. One is, yes, most people in the military, the rank and file, they're right-leaning. But mm -hmm. also, a lot of people in the military they figure I got to follow orders. Right. And a, a lot of people in the military, it must be said also, they think this is my job right now and I need a job. I'm going to do what they tell me. Yeah. Um, you look at, for example, those pro-life leaders who they sent the SWAT teams out to arrest. Now, if I had been a cop 
on a SWAT team. And they said, go arrest this pro-life activist because we don't like that he's pro-life. And we want to make an example of how we are trying to portray. I mean, I know they didn't tell them all this, but they should know. I shouldn't be keeping up with what's going on in the world. <laughs> no, well, they're, they're making an example of these guys and trying to portray patriots as dangerous criminals and terrorists. And so here's this guy and he's got whatever, you know, seven or eight kids and his wife there and they're crying and they're terrified and their SWAT team is out with their rifles and they're leading him away in handcuffs and yelling and shouting at everybody. <clears throat> Why? Why didn't they stand up and say, this is abominable. This is, this is the United States of America and I'm not going to participate in that, but none of them did. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and, oh, go ahead. Well, it's also like, you know, Roger Stone. Roger Stone's over 70 years old. He's a political pundit. What's he going to do? Beat him up? And right. they, they, they go and knock on his door at 4 a.m. and take him away in handcuffs with the camp cameras rolling? See, Insane. this kind of thing makes me think they're going to have more military and more cops on their side than we would like to believe. And yeah. certainly, if it were a civil war between patriots and a bunch of soy boys who don't believe in guns, then there's nothing to worry about. But right. when you put the military in and the police, then it's a yeah. who knows. Yeah, no, then it gets really, really ugly, really, really fast. And I'm very concerned about that. Um, you know, I've had Roger on this on the show twice and I couldn't agree more. I mean, what they did to him is reprehensible. And, and the fact that, you know, CNN or whoever it was, was rolling tape as that early morning raid went down is just like, well, obviously you guys are working in tandem on this and it's just, it's just sick. It's just sick. Um, but I, I want to talk a bit, uh, a bit about the, the shift that happened on a more macro level politically, because what the, the American military industrial complex in particular was really dedicated throughout, you know, my childhood and, and far longer before my birth, uh, towards fighting communism, at least rhetorically, that's what they said they were doing. And, and it seems now that if you look at Lula in, in Brazil and, and many other examples over recent history, where it seems as if the, you know, the CIA or the deep state or whatever is siding with communists, <laughs> like that just, it seems very, uh, that shift is, is, you know, it's significant and, and people don't really talk about it much. Uh, is it just simply that the, the people that have come up through the ranks have, uh, imbibed of this Marxist elixir. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how that shift came to pass. Do you have any ideas? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, in the first place, there's 50 years of public education, and it's been very, very far to the left. And yeah. so a lot of us went through it and saw through a lot of it or fought, and a lot of us didn't. And so you've got a whole generation, several generations, you could say, of Americans who have all kinds of Marxist assumptions, and they don't even realize it. Yeah. And they are much more open to that way of thinking than they, sh than they ought to be. Yeah. That's one thing. Then a lot of those guys go into the military. Then Obama, who's the quintessential deep state president, uh, uh, placed in there by the people who are running things. And he starts to get the generals to retire and even the, the, the top brass below the generals and all these people who are patriotic Americans and who are anti-communist, 
they suddenly take early retirement mm -hmm. and they get replaced by these political hacks like Mark Milley, who just do the bidding of the far left civilian leadership yeah. and clearly reflect the same political point of view. And so the whole military has been systematically and carefully corrupted by the communists that they used to be fighting against. And the military industrial complex, it all reflects the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, and Lloyd Austin, I mean, he's an absolute lunatic. He's wearing like four masks and the mask and the shield down. And you're like, and he's just talking about like racial equity and, and sexual equity in the military ranks. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? This is just so, it's so bizarre to me. Um, do you think that there's there's CCP influence in in this shift at all? Because a lot of people wonder it. I'm I'm curious what your opinion is. Oh, I don't have any doubt whatsoever. Um, it, it goes back to that goes back to Clinton. <clears throat> I mean, of course, it was Nixon who went to China and betrayed Taiwan and opened up China for the United States. But then it was really Clinton who signed the trade deals that mm. made it so that everywhere you look in America. There's no more made in the USA. Everything's made in China. Right. And that came with rewards. You know, it, 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 Bill Clinton does not strike me as the most upright man of integrity that you could find. You think? And, I, <laughs> and you have all these politicians, you know, Pelosi and all the rest of them. They get $200,000 a year or whatever in Congress, and now they're multimillionaires. Where does this money come from? Could it have to do with agreeing to gut American industry and outsource everything to China and make us economically dependent upon the People's Republic? I don't see that that's a very difficult thing to see. And then you look at Hunter Biden's laptop, and you've got clear record of him making exactly those kinds of deals for Joe. Yeah. Well, no kidding, and and not just with China, but also with uh, with Ukraine, and oh, yeah. and and now we're toying with World War Three over what appears to be, uh, in large part, not entirely, but in large part, just a cover up operation for what amounts to a slush fund for the political elite's corruption uh, or mm -hmm. money laundering, and and yeah. it, this is this is a bipartisan issue. I mean, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, John McCain before his passing, like all these guys seem to have had. Uh, financial interests in these in these areas, and I, it's very it's very disheartening. I mean, when when you start to realize that the the highest level of political establishment on both sides of the political aisle are appearing to be deeply corrupt. I mean, deeply deeply corrupt. Yeah. And Ukraine has uh, been a laundromat for years, as you oh, know. Yeah. yeah. And now uh, it's creates a kind of perfect storm because you've also got these climate lunatics. Who right. it, it all works together, you see, because of course, Chinese communists are the biggest polluters in the world, but they're always exempt from the climate accords, or they have various <laughs> provisos that make it so that we have to bear the brunt right. of all the self abnegation and the destruction of our own economy, which will only benefit China. Then you have the, uh, the virus COVID hysteria. And a lot of that and the vaccine is connected to people who are on record like Bill Gates saying, wouldn't it be great if we had a substantially reduced population on Earth? Yeah, 90% reduced. You know, maybe this vaccine that doesn't work and makes people sick and kills off a lot of people, maybe that was the idea. Yeah. Well, and so 
if you then imagine if you could get the United States into the world war, that'll kill off a few million people, maybe more as well. And oh, I'd so say, the, I'd say a lot more than a few. Yeah. Yeah. The climate benefits, China benefits because Russia and the USA are going at it. And yeah. you see it all fits together. It, it does. And, and I mean, it, they're not even really secretive about it. If you, if you look into the world economic forum and, and agenda 2030, um, or Agenda 21 and then Agenda 2030. And then the fact that China gets a special treatment where like everyone in the West has to be zero carbon emission or net zero by 2030, but China and India get till 2050. And you're like, what? Uh, yeah. Given that like just their pollution alone ultimately means that globally we aren't net negative. Uh, mm -hmm. So ultimately their thesis is just completely thrown out the window right away. And, and you have to just start to ask yourself like, okay, well, assuming that you actually buy the anthropogenic global warming, you know, is an existential crisis thesis, which I personally do not, um, but yeah. say you do, well, then well, you'd have, you'd have to crack down on China and India just as harsh as you're cracking down on the West, but they don't do it. And no one seems to bat an eye at it. Greta Thunberg was interviewed in Davos uh, last weekend and they were asking her about it and she was, she was just laughing in their faces. And it's like, that's a fair question. If you yeah. really think that the world's going to end, why are you not, screaming at china but once again it's kind of like the the left's treatment of islam they it just mm -hmm. mums the word they won't they won't bring it up yeah how, how do people not see through this greta's a paid actress she couldn't do anything but laugh because she doesn't have anything mm. to say unless it's on script yeah and so she didn't have a script to answer ezra lament <laughs> she doesn't say anything yeah, I think that's pretty plausible. Um, so why why is it that so few people are able to see through this? Uh, is it just the, the media control mechanisms? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, there are still, I would imagine still the majority of Americans, they think, oh, I want to find out what's happening. I'll mm -hmm. turn on CNN. Oh, God. <laughs> or read the New York Times or the Washington Post. Right. I mean, even after all these years, there are still, I think probably you have a majority of people in the United States who still think these are news outlets and don't realize that they are propaganda organs for the leftist agenda. And so, yeah, it is. But, you know, I talk to you and talk to people online and we understand what's going on. But right. most, most people only know what's happening. You know, I actually, I can tell you, I have a very good friend who is very aware of what's going on in the world in some ways. And yet I made some reference to him not long ago to Joe Biden's dementia. And he said, what? <laughs> Joe Biden's what? And I, I couldn't believe it. And and so I, I started to gather some of those video collections of him saying all the crazy stuff and sent them to him. He he was shocked. Wow. You know, this never shows up on CNN. Yeah. This never shows up in the New York Times. They think he's a perfectly competent American politician. <laughs> For the record, he wasn't competent before the dementia, but now yeah. it's really bad. <laughs> all right. So... Let's let's get back into to your book because I think this is a really interesting topic. Um, so, do you think that this actually comes to pass? The Civil War? Yeah, I sure hope not. Me but, too. 
<laughs> I do think that that's the way we're heading and that that's very much what they want. Another example is, of course, Joe's red and black speech from September 1st. Oh, my God. That was yeah. scary. And what's scary about it, I mean, there's so many things scary about it. Sure. But one of the primary things scary about it is him saying Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent a threat to the very life of the republic. There has never been a president ever in the history of the United States who ever said that his primary opponent and half of the electorate were outside the bounds of what's acceptable political discourse. It's always been as part of the understanding of what it was to be a free society and to have a republic. It's always been understood that both parties respected one another as being on the spectrum of acceptable political discourse. Right. Joe, for the very first time, said that half his, his whole opposition, essentially, his right. effective opposition, was not. That's how fascists talk. You know, he says that we're fascists. He's behaving <laughs> in a very fascist manner here. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean... that's, uh, it, it's a signal of very ominous things to come. Because after that, once you've said that, he hasn't done anything since then. He has to move a bit slowly on this. But the logical next step is to criminalize that point of view and mm. say that it's not allowed to be enunciated because it's dangerous to the life of the republic. And then you start arresting the people who do stand for it. Yeah, well, I, I could definitely see that happening. And and uh, as you said, he uh, he signaled fascism with the aesthetics to boot. I oh, mean, yeah. I've never seen a more aesthetically fasc fascistic model than that speech. And then you add into it the script, and it's like this was overt. This was intentional. You know, Marines it, behind them. Oh, it was it was yeah. really, really disturbing. And it's not like I, you know, I'm not afraid of Joe Biden per se. But man, when you consider um, what he did on, on the first day of his presidency, where he, he had this memorandum that went out where he he called on essentially the CIA, the FBI to redirect all of their resources from anti the foreign anti-terrorism to domestic anti-terrorism uh, operations. And then they included within that, you know, people that like the Gadsden flag or Betsy Ross or like all this Americana stuff. And you're just like, what is happening? You know, like this, this is just incredible. These are like good old boys. These are the guys that are in your military. They're the ones that are willing to fight and die for your stupid wars. That you keep dragging us into, and you're going to label these people as potential domestic extremists or, or terrorists. Like it's just very, it's very disturbing. And uh, do you, is the right wing broadly, awake to what we're discussing right now? Because sometimes I feel like they are and other times not so much. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, there are some. You know, you go on Twitter and there are a few people here and there. It's very clear they see what's coming. They know what's going on. You know, Kurt Schlichter wrote those wonderful novels mm -hmm. a few years back about America splitting into two. Uh, he has it happening peacefully. I I, I, I hope that if that happens... It happens. <laughs> I hope so too. But... In any case, he's clearly aware that we have we have a bigger divide in the United States today than there was in the United States in 1861 when the Civil War started. And Man. the two sides then, they had the same basic outlook on life, the, right. on, on what a republic should be like, on uh, religion, on culture. Nowadays, you can't say that about any of those things. Yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty convinced that you're you're right about the divide being wider. You know, the chasm has grown 
very, very significantly. Um, but my personal belief, and James Lindsay disagrees with me on this strongly, so feel free to disagree. But I think that peaceful separation is the only outcome that is peaceful. You know, I do not think that we can coalesce again behind some sort of, uh, you know, valuing of each other's individuality and differences of opinion. Like that just doesn't seem to be a possibility. And I think that, you know, working towards state nullification and, and peaceful secession is ultimately probably the trajectory we have to go if we don't want to end up in a civil war. James thinks that that's basically giving the communists what they want. They want to have a disillusion of, or like a separation where, you know, it's just, they get to consolidate their power and, and then they get to crush whoever tries to peacefully leave. Um, do you have any opinion as to how that might play out if it were to? Well, if there's if, if if the communists do gain control over part of this country or all of it, then yeah, it would be very ugly, uh, extremely ugly and bloody. Do you think that they don't have that already with Joe Biden's presidency? Because it kind of feels like they do. Well, in many ways they do, but on the other hand, we're still here having this conversation. Okay, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> there are thousands of others like us out there, right? Millions, in fact who are not on board, they're not uh, consolidated yet, and right. maybe it will never happen. Um, another thing, another possibility that I would say, leaning toward Lindsay's perspective, well, maybe not, I don't want to speak for him, because I didn't sure. hear what he said, sure. but aside from the possibility of peaceful separation and secession, it's also possible that as a cultural moment, the left will crest and Mm. recede and i say that because it's gotten so crazy now yeah and you remember the cultural revolution in china and it was very virulent in the late 60s but it ran its course such that by the mid 70s they're becoming capitalist mm -hmm. maybe a little later but nonetheless they didn't keep up that relentless hammering at the culture People got exhausted, and they also realized that this had run its course. They could not create the perfect socialist society, and right. they had to go in a different direction. Well, unfortunately, so, if if my memory serves, that coincided with a lot of starvation. Um, and I think that, okay, that... I'm not saying it's going to be easy or pretty. <laughs> but the, the left could run... It, I think the left is already cresting and already mm -hmm. receding. Okay. You look at the National Hockey League. I wrote an article yesterday about the, uh, what do you call them? I don't follow hockey. I forget now. The New York Rangers. Mm -hmm. The New York Rangers refused to wear the pride jerseys. It was pride night for the New York Rangers the other night. And they wouldn't wear them. And this comes a couple weeks after the one guy, uh, Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. And nice. he wouldn't wear the pride night jersey for the right. Flyers. And now the whole Rangers wouldn't wear them. Mm -hmm. And then the, the NHL, so far, maybe they'll crack down because the NHL is very woke. Right. But so the, the only statement they've issued so far is we respect individual rights, which, of course, they don't. But <laughs> they apparently are seeing that this uh, little rebellion against all their LGBTQ business is more than they can contain yeah and well, so that's a very good sign you know you never saw people dissenting from that even last year 
It just seemed too strong. Everybody just thought, well, we just have to go along. But the more people stand up, that's one of the points of my book. The more people stand up, human beings are imitative species, the more people will stand up. Yes. And we see this with Provorov to the flyer, to the Rangers. What's next after the Rangers? Maybe it'll be five teams or 10. Right. Well, and also with Novak Djokovic, you know, being banned from yeah. the Australia Open and then coming back and winning the championship. Like th those are those symbolic moments that in the moment you may not know how significant significant they are, but in hindsight, like, oh, this could have been the inflection point where like, all right, the tide actually finally uh, receded. And I, I think I, I agree with you that like they are cresting, as you said. Um, it's just that there are so many true believers, you know, that some of these, some of these young college kids and, and college graduates and all the way up. I mean, there's 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 year olds that are of this cloth that just seems so just to the, to the core communists at this point. And I just don't know how you ever bring those people back, but I, I agree with you on a, on a broader cultural scope. It does seem as if we are, we are reaching a tipping point. And, and I also agree with you that if you remember like, the summer of love, the 2020 riots that happened after George Floyd. If you were to speak out against Black Lives Matter in the first year of its existence, just kiss your life goodbye. You know, like no one could do it and, and no one did. And then all of a sudden it's like a, a handful of like the, you know, the most brave radical people start to start to say it. They're like, oh, this seems like a scam or, uh, you know, what about white lives? Like, don't don't we all matter? You know, people start saying that stuff and then. Um, now it's kind of like a deluge where, you know, I could, I could badmouth Black Lives Matter on Twitter right now and I'd hardly get any pushback at all. Um, yep. So I think that there is a chance that that tide does turn, but at the same time, I'm not so sure, or I'm not so optimistic that it's imminent. I think we may have a few more years of craziness because you're seeing the drag Floyd or the, the drag, uh, drag story, yeah. whatever it's called. Um, and I mean, that, that is also activating the parents. So I don't know. Sorry. I'm like thinking as I talk. So <laughs> go ahead and hop in there wherever you like. One thing I can say about the people that you are talking about that are hardcore believers, there will always be some of them. Mm -hmm. But the issue here is whether they will always be in total control of the culture. They're at war with reality. And reality <laughs> is never going to change. Right. Men are never going to be women and women are never going to be men. And they can yell at us and insist that they've become women, that Rachel Levine's a woman and Bruce Jenner's a woman and everybody what woman else. of the year even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these the, the Miss Universe and all that. Right. It's never going to be true. Right. And the more people go for that and they destroy their lives that way, the more obvious that's going to be to everyone. Right. And then the more some people, not all of them, but some of them at certain points are going to wake up and say, Hey, you know, I'm still a man, or my friend is still a man. Right. You know, uh, take for example David Horowitz on a very different plane. David Horowitz is, has always been a man, but David Horowitz was a socialist in the '60s and a very prominent socialist who worked with the Black Panthers. I'm affiliated with the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and he's mm -hmm. he's one of the great men of our time. In the '70s, he saw Vietnam fall. And he woke up. He'd been fighting against the war in Vietnam ever since it started. And he was one of the most energetic purveyors of the whole left's line about it. And then he saw that everything that the right had been saying would happen if Vietnam fell happened. And he woke mm -hmm. up. And ever since then, he has been one of the leading conservative thinkers in the country. Hmm. 
And so, you know, don't 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 be surprised if some of these vocal leftists make make the same life trajectory. Yeah, well, I think the reason that I'm a little bit skeptical is just because of the vaccines and, and the fact that so many of the left are like still getting the boosters. And like, even if you look at the science, this is really solid science at this point, that the more boosters you get, the less protected you are. Like you, like genuinely, if you do four or five boosters, like you are really endangering yourself to a large extent. And I absolutely could not say this on YouTube, even though it's true. Um, but those people, I mean, those people is like, ugh, they're, if you're willing to like basically risk your life to try and just be with their tribe, that's a that's a level of commitment, and I think what's interesting about it is I see this a lot with the left, where they're they're essentially like they're just throwing absurdities out there to see if they can get their base to to accept it, and I think that's part of like the Marxist indoctrination process is like you have to question your fundamental being, and you have to sac like you have to basically separate yourself from yourself and just become part of this Borg entity or something. Uh, yeah. Is that a is that a fair read of it, or am I just yeah, making it up? the head man that's exactly it it's like you know george orwell in 1984 and he's mm. torturing winston smith o'brien the 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 whatever he is the guy in the <laughs> prison and he's right. torturing the the hero that tried to live freely winston and he's making him say two plus two is five and he doesn't have to just say it he has to believe it mm -hmm. and you know when i read that I, I i guess i first read that in high school and i thought well that's absurd nobody's ever gonna think two plus two is five and nobody's ever going to be forced. It's just reality. And now here we are, you know, uh, uh, the, ad, the, the, the first female admiral is some guy. From, <laughs> from and, yeah. and everybody just says, yeah, okay. Yes. Yes. What, isn't this a wonderful thing for women? It's uh, so and two plus two is five. It's yeah. a, it is a fundamental imperative of the totalitarian impulse to make people discard even their own reason and just right. obey the, the leader. Yeah. Well, I, reason has a way of striking back. And at some point, some of those people, not all, they have ideas and they think, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> guy, he's not a woman and two plus two is not five. Yeah. Well, it, it just concerns me that so many of them are, are taking as long as they are, because for me, it was like, I woke up very hard the minute lockdown struck and, and it was, I mean, I was already pretty red pilled, but boy, did I get red pilled after that. I remember, um, summer of 2020, I'm moving from, or no, I think it was actually six months or a year later. I was, I was moving from California to Florida. So I drove across country and I, and I, I had already read 1984 when I was in high school as well, but I, I bought the audiobook through audible and I listened to it on my drive. And I'm telling you, man, that was such a, terrible decision on my part because it just was like it was like this horrific dystopic novel and i was like oh my god everything he said is so what i'm living through right now and, driving and yeah like i'm literally driving through it right now and i'm driving through cities with like homeless people that are that are you know needles hanging out of their arms and man it's it's it was a very dark time i'm i'm glad that things seem to have improved slightly since then it's still I just think that the dividing the dividing lines in our civilization, and it's not just America. I mean, this is really a global phenomenon, but it, it does seem to be more stark in the U.S. Well, I guess that's a good question to end this. Do you think, given that you know the lockdowns and kind of the wokeness has taken over a good percentage of the world, not all not 
all of it by any stretch of the imagination. Do you envision uh, the left kind of having these civil war type deals in multiple nations or is this strictly an American phenomenon? Oh, no, it's very global. Look at Brazil. Right. And you had a very sound president who was clearly aced out of being reelected by fraud. And you bring in this Marxist. Yep. You know? And then, then the right rises up and then they cr cr uh, crash down on them. And it's, yeah, yeah. There, there they are, the insurrectionists. There you right. go. Yeah, well, even, all the way up to the point of having a, a guy in a buffalo hat once again. Uh, fascinating. Do you think that the uh, the January 6th and, and like uh, my concern is that, say, no one does anything crazy and doesn't do anything violent towards a drag person, doesn't there is no more January 6s, um, that they won't just false flag it, that they'll just create this stuff to. Oh, yeah. To, oh, yeah. I mean, okay. look at Ray Epps. They false flag January 6th. No kidding. Ray Epps is the only guy on video saying we got to go into the Capitol and he's never been charged, never been arrested. <laughs> How more transparent can you get? But I don't think they're all that stupid. I think they want us to see that this is what's going on mm. so that we become demoralized. So we right. must never play that game. We yeah. should be onto them, but keep pushing. Got it. Love it. We're, we're going to end with a little bit of optimism. If anybody wants to pick up his book, I highly recommend that you do. This is Robert Spencer. He's the author of The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with my audience, Robert? Um, just that, really, my friend. Never give up. Never give in. This is It's going to get worse before it gets better. But these, like Tom Paine said, these are the times that try men's souls. It's time for us to stand up, every last one of us and be activists. Nobody's going to do this for us. If we want to continue to have a free society or to reestablish a free society, we have to do it ourselves. Beautifully said, and uh, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm going to go save the world right now, Robert. Thank you again, man. Thank you. I'll be there with you. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?